You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole. I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I am so excited to be here. Wait, wait, uh, I, I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm here with my new pet. Uh his name is Mogwai. Oh, 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 so cute. So cute. I I noticed that you had the lights dimmed really low. I wasn't sure what was going on there. So, um good Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, good to know. Good to know. So, well, we are going to have a lot of fun this week uh, as we are talking about the classic film Gremlins from the 80s. Um, but before we do that, just want to say uh, thank you to everybody for listening. We really do appreciate it, uh, everyone that tunes in every week. Uh, and of course, if you are listening to the podcast and you haven't done so, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really, uh, you know, you don't want to miss an episode, honestly. So just make sure you're subscribed so you get all the episodes as soon as they drop. Uh, of course, you can also find us uh, all over the place, um, over social media. You know, you can find us on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. Uh, you can also find us online uh, at trek.fm with all of the podcasts we do here in the network. And so you'll be able to see every single podcast we've got going, which is great. with so much happening. Uh, and of course, you know, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm as well as the listeners-only discussion group that you can join and talk to listeners all over the world about the different shows that are happening here on the network. And seriously, we've just got a lot happening, and maybe you really enjoy what we do, uh, and you would like to make sure that that keeps happening. Well, we want to make sure that that keeps happening as well, and the best way to do that is to go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team. It is uh, quite expensive, actually, to put all of this together. And we want to keep it ad-free for you guys. So go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can be part of our team. In the end, every little bit helps, um, but we need you guys. Otherwise, we can't keep doing this. So again, go to patreon.com slash trek.fm. Christy, now I'm really interested in it. It's always fascinating when we go back to do a movie like this. And, and and I know tons of people obviously have big histories with films like this, like Gremlins, um, you know, uh, these Amblin movies from the 80s. We reference them quite often. Um, this one coming mm-hmm. out in 1984. And so I was really interested because I don't know coming into this it was one of those things where we decided hey let, let's do this this would be fun to do um but i don't know what is your history with gremlins so i'm definitely one of the people that this goes way back in my childhood um i saw it probably at like age eight. Oh my um, goodness i know right <laughs> yeah there's some terrifying <laughs> stuff in this movie for an eight-year-old 
I feel like we've uncovered some really strange things that my dad let me see way too young on this show. <laughs> like I was watching Rambo and Gremlins and you're like, are you okay? <laughs> are you, you sure you're um, all right? <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm good. Um, but no, I think the big reason was because they had already seen it. Um, my parents knew that I would love Gizmo, the character, as a lot of people do. Um, and it's just something that I remember enjoying from a very young age, mm. um, even in spite of the scary parts. Yeah. I think because overall it still comes across kind of more like a horror comedy to me. Sure. It oh, didn't absolutely. scare me as much. Yeah. I, I mean, for you, I, were, I mean, was it scary for you or did the comedy help uh, as a child for you to just kind of wash over anything that was scary because, you know, for the most part, you kind of quickly get to something that is funny. I would say for the most part, it it didn't scare me terribly badly. Um, I mean, it was it, the initial sight of a gremlin, you know, when you finally see their faces and everything. I'm sure any kid would go, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the thing that still sticks with me is actually just the suspense of the scene where the mom hears, do you hear what mm. I hear? Yeah. That'll change that song like forever that for song you. I don't like that song now. Yeah. I don't. I can't listen to it. <laughs> Do you hear And it's sad. Yeah. It is so sad because yeah. it's about baby Jesus. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, they it's, turned it into a song about murder. Yeah. It's super creepy. It's super creepy. Yep. So, yeah, that's, that's a, really interesting to me. And this is one of those movies that I did not grow up with, um, that I did not see until literally today. And so, wow. um, I, it's just one of those things where I was not allowed to see it. Cause when it came out, I mean, I was young. Um, I mm -hmm. was, I was, it was five, you know, so this wasn't something my parents were going to take me to the theaters to see. And, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned quite a few times, you know, kind of growing up in a, in a, in a much more conservative style household, and so a lot of yeah. these things I just ended up missing. And, and, you know, as I've gotten older, I've gone back and seen a lot of these type of movies. But this is one that I just had not gone back to see. And I was interested to see it because of its connection with Amblin. Um, and, of course, you know, Steven Spielberg being one of the producers here. Um, so I was, you know, I, anything in that era that they've touched, you know, him or Lucas is always fascinating to watch for me. And so, yeah, I was I was actually excited to, to see this and to see that this had been written by Chris Columbus, who, you know, I mean, I think most people think of, you know, famously with doing Home Alone and, of course, uh, the first two Harry Potter movies. So, you know, big track record in filmmaking on that front as well. These are people to which, you know, they have so much going for them when it comes to film. So I'm glad that I finally got a chance to watch this. Um, you know, I thought, you, you, and something that you mentioned, Christy, when you were talking about your history was the idea of the fact that this movie is in that genre of horror comedy, which had become mm -hmm. more of a thing by that point in the 80s, especially with um, Ghostbusters being one of the biggest, where there's some horror elements to it, and then there's some funny elements to this. And so I 
I wanted to ask you, especially as, as you got into this rewatch, and I'm sure you've seen it a bunch of times, you know, growing up, but now as an adult, I was honestly kind of shocked just how horror it went for a little bit, um, especially with, like you mentioned specifically, um, his mom in the house. Um, and then, you know, you have uh, the World War II vet who's, I'm, I mean, his wife and him get killed by getting run over by their own tractor. Um, mm-hmm. th- that's some terrifying stuff. Uh, and they don't really shy away from the fact that some terrible things happen to people in this. Uh, and so how do you think with the film that that works? Because unless you get that balance right, this movie's not going to work for you. Yeah, so it, it definitely fits firmly in that genre. I'm glad that they didn't go as far as like Aliens, for example, that's definitely yeah, in the horror yeah. category. Um, but they do... Um, definitely have these scenes where people are dying but i think that it stays more toward the comedy side and like a a dark comedy because they don't show the people actually having like a horrific death it's like you assume when they cut that scene with the snowplow or the the Mm -hmm. tractor i mean that they died right you don't actually see like blood everywhere or something um and it's the same with like you know the um the guy reaching his hand in the mail slot, the scientist at the school. Mm-hmm. It's all just kind of, um, oh, and they died. <laughs> so I think that helps. And the interesting thing with, you know, the scientist at the school, the the professor, the teacher, um, and, and the thing that I took was like, oh, well, I mean, they gave him, it looked like a sedative, but that didn't necessarily mean he was dead. You know, so that right, but then later they said he died. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. I I'm sorry. I apologize <laughs> for missing that. I did not no, no, realize no, I, that they yeah uh, they must have injected him with something that actually killed him. Which that that makes sense too. Um, yeah. But when they first did that, I was like, okay, so maybe this is going to be a movie where like they're going to say a lot of mayhem happens, but then people don't die. But then of course, you know, we have. The tractor, and I was like, "Okay, no, we're 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 not going to do that. We're actually going to kill people in this movie." And so, uh, or Mrs. Deagle, yes, yes, flying um, out the window. <laughs> which I mean, you know, you obviously don't feel sorry for her because she's a complete terrible person in this film uh, yeah. to everyone, and you know, you're honestly kind of glad that you know she died. Um, but yeah, I I'm not quite sure. For me, if the balance works as well as it needs to, I don't think Mm -hmm. it is, um, I don't think it's awful or anything. I just, I'm not quite sure that it's the kind of perfection you want. It's close. Um, I, I would say this. It doesn't quite work as well as as Ghostbusters in the sense of the the switching back and forth between comedy and horror, because there are some parts of this that I felt like that were truly horrific. And then we just kind of come back on the other side with, you know, a laugh. And I was like, oh, I I don't, you know, especially again, I, I keep coming back to it, but I think it's it's the one that 
it's the tractor. That's just really that's okay. not funny. You know, like they're literally just killing these people, and and so it's it's yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I, that that was that that's the one for me. I think where it's like they crossed the line, maybe. And and then there were other parts of this movie that, that speaking of this, that you know they they were gonna have his dog get eaten and his mother's head ha- roll down the stairs to him when he gets home. So there were places where they were gonna make this much darker, and they took all those away um and in fact yeah gizmo was actually going to turn into stripe uh it wasn't going to be that stripe was um a different uh character so they really cut back on the horror aspect of this movie uh because they were basically going to go in it sounded like all horror with almost Mm -hmm. little comedy and they went more comedy than horror in a lot of ways i think it really benefited them that they stopped at this point and cut those scenes like you mentioned i think that with those left in it would have been way too far past the line of becoming slightly more horror and gone completely into this is a horror movie um especially with the dog it's like things like that Mm -hmm. feel more mean-spirited than just oh it's a horror comedy so um yeah i'm glad that was gone but i think it would have really hurt them and made people not like this movie in the long term as well Mm -hmm. if they had had gizmo turn into stripe Uh, i think that's the biggest thing yeah i i think you're right on that too because i i think that that comes down to some of the themes that we're going to talk about a little bit later but I think you did need this. If you wanted to have a a more of a balance between comedy and humor, you need at least one of these things to stay cute. Otherwise, I I do feel like you are, you're kind of screwing yourself, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't work if if you don't keep something for us to be rooting for with these gremlins, you know? Um, right. So, yeah. And and well, therefore, in the movie, you're actively rooting for the fact that you don't want anything to happen to Gizmo. Right. And, I mean, he, also, we're talking about the prime period of merchandising becoming a thing, like with Ghostbusters. This was a great opportunity if you kept Gizmo the way he is, which it, they did, obviously, it turns into a great merchandising opportunity. And then that's the thing I think that kept it popular into the present now because of that cuteness factor and that you're rooting for somebody and aside from just Billy. Um, And I did want to bring up um, because we hadn't delved into the actual reason for the story as well. um, Did you know about where this came from? The premise of gremlins? Yeah, I, you know, being somebody who enjoyed things about World War II, uh, I did know where the term comes from, which is kind of fascinating uh, that, you know, it was members of the RAF, you know, jokingly blaming small creatures of what's going wrong with their planes. And which is a, just the exact type of thing that, you know, people do in war um, to liven the mood you know in a mood that's not great uh and so Mm -hmm. yeah i think that is something that's really interesting about this film because obviously then we play into that you know with the character in the film who was a 
in World War II. And, you know, so right. uh, they actually pay homage to the fact that of where, you know, this term comes from, which I thought was great. Yeah. It, and it's funny now watch rewatching it again. I caught that more that he mentions multiple times what gremlins are to him and that, you know, um, what the war was like mm-hmm. and specifically mentioning World War Two a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, too, that they took some... Um, liberties as well from Roald Dahl's book The Gremlins mm-hmm. which stems from that term as well right um and and said that basically the script was then written to have them get into a little bit more mischief than right. Dahl's characters would have um and I think that helps with the comedy aspect as well that they have some of them mm-hmm. in funny costumes or yeah. all of them yeah yeah I know I'm right there with you I think you're absolutely right so the storyline here is is interesting, I think, in the movie, and it's pretty straightforward that, you know, this this dad brings home a gift for his son that wasn't sold to him, um, <laughs> right? Legally, really, um, it's given to him um, by the young boy in the shop who wants to make the money. Um, but apparently what's in here in this box takes great responsibility. Um, and so of course he takes it home and the very things that are not supposed to happen with it, which is, you know, you got the three rules, don't feed it after midnight, don't get it in the water and don't put it in bright light. And so, of course, all of those things are going to happen because then we wouldn't have a story if they didn't. Um, and <laughs> and so I just kind of wanted to ask you, like, how you felt about, especially as you've gotten to the point in life where you're, you're watching this movie now, uh, you know, as an adult, how you feel like this, this story plays out here uh, for the movie. And if you feel like, especially for you, if it still holds together the way it did as you were watching it as a kid. Yeah, I think that they get it right out of the gate with um, having a narrator and having that be the same actor playing the father um, so that they kind of started off as this is a cautionary tale. So you're getting this very mysterious, um, you know, vibe at the very beginning of the movie that then brings you into it being more of a creepy cautionary tale the whole time. And I like that. I think that there are parts of the story, like you were saying earlier, where they lean a little too much into the horror piece of it. And that kind of takes you out of the overall story they're trying to tell. But I still feel like for the most part, it's a enjoyable way to tell you, you know, there are things in life that take great responsibility and that maybe we're not ready for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, I think I think most of the story works well for me. I do th- there were there were a couple of things in here that as I was watching it, I thought, okay, well, that's interesting and um but I don't there wasn't really any payoff with those parts of the story and and one and even though we see the death of you know, the old lady who's just mean to everyone. Mhm. Like her being mean to everyone and 
it doesn't really necessarily again it doesn't pay off like it feels like an homage to it's a wonderful life without there necessarily really being a reason for that and so that was something that i was kept waiting for it to mean something more in the film but it didn't other than the point where you know she's thrown out the window and you're like well i I mean i'm glad that happened because she's just a mean person serves her right yeah it serves her right but (laughs) other than that it it doesn't really serve any purpose which is is a little bit annoying i think um and that's kind of connected to the family that is struggling for money Mm -hmm. at the bank and they're kind of connected with her in the story but again that never pays off like nothing ever gets resolved with that storyline. And so I was just there there were a couple of things in here where it's like they add some things into the film and it would have been interesting to see the way in which that would possibly then resolve, but it never gets resolved. So those threads just are left hanging. That's a good point and I think I glaze over that because of the rest of the movie having a lot more going on Mm -hmm. but yeah i agree for sure i mean i i think that especially focusing on the scene where the mom and her two kids are talking to mrs deagle Mm -hmm. about needing an extension on paying their rent um and then they even show her later on her own speaking to the manager of the bank Mm -hmm. um it's just kind of unnecessary if then you're not going to have it tie back in somehow to the main plot here a hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. So with it's you. like, do they get an extension now that Mrs. Deagle is dead? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, um, it seems like they're worse off if the whole town has been destroyed. Yes, right. Like it, it doesn't seem like their storyline has been helped in any way, shape, or form by you know that happening, other than the fact that she's dead. So maybe that she'll they'll be able to get the extension, and so yeah. One thing, though, and this might be, this might be the only way that they fit into the story, which is this movie has a lot about how tragedy can change your perception of something that for others is good, like Christmas. And, you know, so for that family, you know, Christmas time is, is not joyful and triumphant it is you know sad and depressing you know just the Mm -hmm. same way it is for kate uh, because it brings up bad memories and or it it is something you're actively living through at the moment so that might have been what they were thinking when they were writing that part of the story uh but that's me, I feel like, really reading into it more mm-hmm. so than anything because that theme there is more about Kate and it just happens to be that those people also are going through that same thing. It would have been nice if there had actually even been some connection maybe between Kate and that family, um, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of, again, bring those themes together and bring some resolution to the story. What did you think, by the way, of... Kate telling the story, which apparently is an urban legend, um, about her father and why she doesn't like Christmas. 
What's what's so fascinating about that is how it plays into the comedy horror aspect, you know, because it's so absurd of an idea that somebody mm-hmm. would actually even try to do that in the first place. And so, I, I mean, I think it, it really plays into that. Um, and obviously, it makes complete sense that if that had happened to you, you would not be a fan of Christmas. Oh, yeah. So, I do think they do a good job of giving you an understanding as to, you know, why uh, Kate has a problem with, with Christmas and that. But at the same time, it is also humorous in the sense that it plays into, you know, uh, the comedy insanity horror that's been happening in the film as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just remember thinking that as a kid, I didn't really um, understand that scene. I don't remember mm-hmm. watching it as a kid, um, that particular scene. But now I'm like, that's actually pretty disturbing yeah. if that was something that could really happen. I mean, first of all, like you said, it's kind of ridiculous because chimneys are so narrow anyway. I think mm-hmm. you would get stuck at the top and you'd be just fine because someone could come pull you out um, or they have a cover on them. But thinking about how she says we noticed the smell is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely very creepy. And, uh, you know, again. I mean, I I think the story itself seems very over the top um, because that would just never happen. There's just right. no way f- for somebody to stay there. I mean, it, like, you would absolutely call out and somebody would hear you and you would get rescued, you know. And so yeah. uh, the fact that that didn't happen is, yeah. But again, it... I think what it really does is it plays into, I mean, the story, we've already had the absurdity of these gremlin characters ruining a town, right? And so that story on top of that, it seems less absurd than the gremlins. (laughs) So you just kind of go with it in this movie. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's a great question, though, because it it is kind of a a strange part of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And it is terrifying. Absolutely. So, but I mean, you know, it it does add to that horror aspect that they're mm-hmm. trying to add in some. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, you know, for the most part, like we were talking about, it's um, kind of rides that line a lot more and has a lot more funny pieces to it. Um, I think the the two things that really stood out to me that also were more horror was um, toward the very end, stripe having the chainsaw oh yeah (laughs) and a gun yeah i mean talk about a lethal weapon (laughs) um hey um and then his death you know the the body keeps kind of slowly melting into the fountain and then he also even pops back out again um was really really leaning into the horror Mm -hmm. aspect yeah that was very indiana jones right there like that would that right. felt like it was straight out of uh, Indiana Jones with but even worse version of somebody's face melting. Uh so hundred yeah. percent agree with you. One of the things that I thought of in the movie and, and I was really interested in because this I, I this actually I think plays in 
a few different places, but, you know, at the end of the movie, Mr. Wing comes to their house and talks to them about the idea that with the Mogwai, they're not ready for the responsibility. He told them that this was um, about a uh, responsibility, and and it really brought to mind for me something that I think is is excellent, which is this idea that how responsible are we with the gifts that we've been given and are we being a good steward of those gifts? And on top of those gifts, are we being a good steward of the world around us? Right. You know, and are we, are we Mm -hmm. taking care of those things? Well, so I thought both of those ideas were actually really fantastic. And it is something that you see play out in the movie and it's connected to another big idea we'll talk about in a second. But this one I, I really liked. I didn't feel like it was just tacked on. I thought they did a great job of portraying that throughout the film of what it takes to be responsible to shepherd these type of creatures in, in the world. Um, and if you're not willing to do that, um, you're going to end up with a lot of problems. And so I thought this was well done. I'm glad that you liked that and got that from the story because that is something that really stands out to me long term is the the big thing lesson they're trying to teach here um, is having responsibility and um, being good stewards of what you're given. And I think that you can look at that in a lot of different ways here. I think you can see speaking of, you know, like more proverbial gifts like talents, um, his father clearly has a gift of being able to invent things and engineer things, you know, to be better, but he's not quite figured it out. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily that he's not being a good steward of the gifts he's been given, or if maybe he needs to be focusing more on the, the other kinds of gifts in his life and just get a job that actually pays him money. So his son is not having to right. take care of their whole family. Um, but I thought that was an interesting way to look at it. Um, you could also look at it like taking care of animals. Mm-hmm. I think that they really show how when you bring in a new quote unquote pet, sometimes people let the new yeah, one great take point. over the old one. Mm-hmm. And you see then his other, his dog being left out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think it kind of brings back to that whole thought process of getting a dog for Christmas and that not everybody knows what it takes to take care of an animal and that you shouldn't just get rid of it if you realize it's too much responsibility. Right. No, I think those are all really good points. And 100%, you know, I my wife uh, worked at, at a vet's office um, here in town for over a year. And absolutely saw those things happen. Um, you know, she did specifically see those things mm-hmm. happen um, where people would get a pet that they just were not ready for. And no, I, I think that's that's great. And, and what I love about all of it is that the idea of being responsible, I think, like you said, it plays on all of these different levels. All the, Like you said, from his father all the way down, right? from the person Mm -hmm. the story starts with all the way, you know, to the smallest person in the story. And I I think that that's really good. And it also, it really led me to thinking 
because, you know, the Mogwai come with three rules. And how that if you follow those three rules, the Mogwai make great pets, right? They are, mm-hmm. pheno- I mean, they, they would be like the, the most incredible kind of pet. A, a pet that, you know, can basically almost talk to you. A pet that, you know, uh, has the ability to, to really truly be a friend. You know, all of these type of things. And yet, if you don't follow the rules... Something good turns into something not so good or even bad or terrifying, mm-hmm. you know. And and so I was really struck by this idea in the movie about that for the most part in our lives and in the world, the rules are there for a reason to keep us safe. And they're usually rules that um, have been agreed upon because history has shown us that when we don't do these things, bad things happen. And that by mm-hmm. not living within those rules, we tend to just basically mess things up. I just thought that was fantastic. Yeah, like you mean like laws, basically. Yeah, laws or, I mean... I think it's it's more transcendent in the in in the way in which you know the the rules of the universe you know they're they're oh, yeah. kind of thing you know so it it's it's from that level all the way down to yes the idea of of the laws that we have in place um in 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 mm-hmm. many areas you know and again I'm not I'm not generalizing saying that every single one of those things is is good and we should always follow them to with no exception right that's not what i'm saying i'm saying generally Mm -hmm. you know it goes much better when you follow the rules it's it it, put it this way it would be like getting a piece of ikea furniture and not following the instructions whatsoever and then you know when it when the thing goes to crap um you know complaining to ikea well right you know you didn't follow the instructions you know, um, so something right. good turned into something crappy for you because you didn't follow the instructions or the rules. So that kind of idea. Or if you don't follow a recipe in particular with baking, that could end terribly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like if you put in sugar instead of salt or salt instead of sugar, lots of times bad things are going to happen if you mix those up. Right. You could have really disgusting gingerbread cookies. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I've had really Speaking bad. Of Christmas. I've had really bad chocolate chip cookies that salt yeah. got mixed for. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. But yes. Yeah, so that's to say, I agree with you, um, and I like that you took it to that level of um, transcending above everything else, and you know, really being applicable to generally, like the the forces of nature. Um, if you think about it, it's that's the the big mm-hmm. thing that they're getting wrong here with yeah. Mogwai. Yeah, exactly. it's like they're going against what they've been told is his nature, mm-hmm. and getting him wet anyway, and feeding him after midnight, and doing these things that then lead to terrible yes, results. That's a good point. Um, I mean, it, it kind of reminded me of like the the science of things we were talking about recently. You know, with um, what movie did we talk about last? Oh, man. I don't remember. I mean, anyway, I I was going to say that that goes all the way back to, you know, I mean, I think most famously you people would probably think of like the Jurassic Park discussion, right? 
the the science of things yeah. and and what happens when we don't actually follow that in and how much trouble we get into when that you and know so, cloning that was the thing yeah. i was thinking uh, of yeah with like, uh morbius yeah absolutely yep so yeah it, it just really lends itself to a lot of interpretations um and I like the aspect of thinking about it in the, the base level of like the laws, because they're showing that some of the mischief the gremlins get up to is changing the traffic light to where it's green in all directions. Mm-hmm. You know, there are things like that that we learn that we then just follow without question. But what if something puts that all on its head and we yes. don't have red lights? You've seen chaos happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a that's an excellent point in that because yeah it it does kind of show all of these different levels right from the nature mm-hmm. level to the law level you know to the responsibility level it's it's playing on all of these different levels which i 100 percent agree with you so what do you think of zach galligan because this is his first movie um, he's an unknown that they cast here and and they cast him actually because in the screen tests with phoebe cates it was obvious that he was already falling for her, um, which, you know, everybody in the 80s was falling for her, I guess, especially after Ridgemont High. Um, so how, how did you feel like that he did here in the movie? Because in many ways, I he legitimately has to carry most of this movie. I think that he does carry it very well. And he's one of the reasons that I still love this movie, because I think with him, especially being a new actor. This is his first major role. Um, It was good that the chemistry was there, but he also has a really great vulnerability that plays well with being a guy who's just trying to get by is from a small town and is taking care of his parents and his dog and would like to start having a girlfriend. Um, I think that he does this so well and then is able to play someone who has a turning point and realizes he's got to be mm-hmm. courageous and protect the people that he cares about as well as her. Yeah. Um, and take some risks and not just be the kid next door who is just getting by anymore, but rather the guy that ends up together with her saving the whole town. I think he's good. I wouldn't say he's great. But I do okay. think that he's good in the movie. And and I do think one of the things, and you, uh, wow, I love that you pulled that out. I think one of the things I do really like about his character is how, um, and you rightly pointed us, this guy in this movie is a good guy. He's somebody who's responsible. He's somebody who is looking to find a way to move on with his life. Like you said, like he he's looking to be a, the man. Um, that he needs to be to to get it, uh, have a good job, to be able to support himself. Um, he's helping support his own family, um, and like you said too, he's he's doing these things as a way to make himself ready to maybe have a girlfriend, get married, and and like he's he's making that transition in his life, or at least he's trying to make that transition in his life. And I think um, you know it's been a long time since I feel like a young man in a movie is somebody that people can really like could look up to and mm-hmm. and this was just I, I have not seen this in a long time where I just really felt like 
this guy has his S together. And yeah. it's it's not for the lack of trying that he is where he is. He's trying. And in honestly, mm-hmm. and in all honesty, he's actually kind of being held back because of he is being held back because of other people. Um, yeah. And so I I I thought he was good. Um I enjoyed his performance and I thought he did a good job. Um I will say um you know before we get to Phoebe Cates I, well, the one thing that I was a little bit disappointed in in the movie is I actually felt like they should have had a few more scenes together. Um I would have mm-hmm. liked maybe some earlier scenes to to build their relationship together uh, because obviously there's there's a like between them, especially you see that when, you know, he, he gets to the bank and he's almost late and she's kind of helping him and everything. Um, I think I like all of that, but I, I do feel like the movie needed a little bit more of them together. Um, and, and so, and that might come to one of my other criticisms of the film, uh, a little bit later, but this is one of the ones where I've just like, I felt like they just needed more time together on screen. Yeah, I can see that. And I mean, definitely, you know, leading up to them having their first kiss, which seems at a really inopportune time. Um, (laughs) As it is in most of these type of movies. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, I guess now's when this is happening. I mean, Um, if you think you might die and, you know, you might as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, So it was. It was okay as far as the romance goes, but yeah, they definitely needed some more scenes together to really build the relationship and make you feel that chemistry a little bit more Mm -hmm. that then leads to them having a relationship making sense. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're right on target. Um, And, and I also think that's one of the places then I like Phoebe Cates in the movie. I think she's, she's good. Um, I do think that she doesn't really get enough to do in the movie. Like you put her in this film, she's a big name. Uh, and, and obviously one of the biggest names in this movie, especially with the, I mean, you're hitting at the teenage boy bracket right now and they're all going to want to see this movie because she's going to be in it. And, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, she doesn't really have a ton to do. And so I was actually pretty disappointed in that again, it's no reflection on her because I think that she does a good job with what she's given, but they really don't mm-hmm. give her anything. No, that's true. I mean, a thousand percent, they make her, it's a very stereotypical character, unfortunately, that I think now people are really steering more away from in movie casting. But um, to use your biggest name in a role where she is the, literally the girl next door who is a waitress at the bar at night and uh, works at the bank during the day and her dad you know, passed away on Christmas, you just feel so bad for her. And then she also doesn't get much to do as an actress in the movie. It does feel like, well, why do you really need that particular actress for this role? Other than just to get more people to see the movie. And I guess maybe that's why they did it. Yeah, I I mean, and I think that's the thing if you had added in more scenes with them together, you know, it would have been Mm -hmm. great. Because I they try to give her some depth with the story about her dad. But I I think because that story is so over the top, it doesn't actually help. Like, I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, 
if the story had been that her dad had had cancer and died on Christmas, I think that would have been much more moving mm-hmm. and would have made you really feel much more for the character. And I think that part might have helped. But there's just this real disconnect, I think, with that using that story that doesn't help me feel connected to her as a character. Um, yeah. And I think, again, this is where I, I don't always love doing this, but I think this is if you had connected her, if if the family had been her family that was struggling to make ends meet, that's why she's working two jobs. That's the way I think you also make us care more about her. Yeah, because like you never see her mom. Exactly. You know nothing about her other than her two jobs and that her dad died yeah. on Christmas Eve. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you needed something for her as well to make it feel more personal and like you know the character better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that Phoebe Cates obviously is a great actress and does great mm-hmm. with what she's given. She's just not given much. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I and in all honesty, I I mean, we could probably go through and and talk about the rest of the cast, but I think everybody does a good job with what they're given here. You know, like I I don't have you know uh, high praise or you know any issues with anybody here. Um, I think you know his parents are good. Um, the the people in the town are are good. There's some there's some interesting. I mean, like uh, the step dad from the santa claus is in this movie is one of the people who works the bank you know there's lots of people you've seen before in other films so i think all of those people um do a good job in the film and so one thing i i did want to ask you um and especially you know as somebody who has seen this many many times mm-hmm. um how do you feel like uh the effects hold up even today so that's actually the thing that I love most about it is this was at a time when a lot more movies were doing practical effects, um, mainly puppetry here. And I think that that really benefits them to not use mm-hmm. terrible special effects or, you know, CGI, yeah. um, which would have been very limited for this time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, 1984, you know, wasn't a lot of advancements made right. there yet. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that the more that you read about what they were able to do with the puppetry and having multiple Mm -hmm. different ones to have the different gizmo faces, um, is really interesting. And, uh, even apparently turned into some funny games with, uh, the crew complaining about making multiple puppets being difficult to have them, you know, actually move around without being attached to something. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, turned into them putting Gizmo on the dartboard as a joke. They actually came up with a list of horrible things you could do to Gizmo, <laughs> which I thought was kind of sad. But um, yeah, I, I thought they were really great. I thought it was especially funny the number of different costumes they give the gremlins. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you've got the one doing the sock puppets for the other one that's kind of supposed to be like the jazz guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You've got the the flasher gremlin, which was really weird. <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> um, and Stripe, who of course has a mohawk and mm-hmm. is the coolest of all of the gremlins. 
how did it work for you? Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I think one of the things that I was impressed with was that the effects still work. And, and I was telling my wife that, you know, one of the interesting parts about this is how the effects are so similarly done to what they do for Baby Yoda these days. I mean, it, it's the same yeah. stuff that they're doing. It's just that, you know, obviously now with the technology is 100% better just because they all the advancements have made. But what they're doing here is, is really impressive. Um, and it's the same type of techniques. And I think they do a really good job of making those techniques work. I do think my other big criticism with the film is the fact that I think they get enamored with their own techniques. And therefore, the scenes with the gremlins running rampant across the city mm-hmm. and all the stuff they're doing runs too long. I think you could actually cut out about 10 minutes of this movie or you could give those 10 minutes back to the storyline that we should really be kind of like gravitating more towards, which is about Kate and Billy. And so that's what I honestly would have done. Probably Mm -hmm. cut out five minutes of gremlin mayhem and put in five minutes of more story throughout the rest of the movie for, for Kate and Billy. And I think that that would have really helped. Um, but it is very impressive what they were able to do, uh, in this, this movie. And for the most part, I think what's crazy about it is how well it does still hold up. So, I mean, that's, that's a feat, right? When you're, when you're going back to a movie like this and, and, that you're able to be impressed with the work that these artists did. And even though it's not perfect, you can still appreciate the artistry. Um, You can still appreciate all the work that's being done. So that is super cool, if you ask me. I'm glad that you felt that way, because that is something that in particular still stands out to me. And I mean, definitely seeing like the pupil stage of the gremlins before they burst Mm -hmm. out like aliens. Um, and the slime and things like when Stripe died, um, I thought it was interesting too, how they said they came up with the, um, balloon to look like a gremlin exploding in the microwave. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When she did that, I was like, yes, that's great. Yeah. No, my favorite still favorite way to kill a gremlin was when she put him in the blender yeah that was very funny actually yeah there was a lot of stuff like that where i was like oh man we're going there that's funny yeah so but yeah they did a great job and i think it would be fun doing that yeah absolutely well i'm interested christy then to see what you would rate gremlins now um that we've talked through it and i'm sure this is your 345th time to watch it yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I know I am biased. It is something that it just lives in nostalgia for me as well as something I still enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. But I do give it a four out of five gizmo driving Barbie cars because nice. it's so it's so funny. I mean, even with the extra gremlin scenes that maybe could have been swapped for more human scenes, I think that it still has an interesting message and that it still kind of rides that line of even what I would compare to like Dark Crystal territory, where it's like a cautionary tale that a certain age of kid could watch and not be terrified Mm -hmm. of, 
but still get something out of and enjoy the cuteness of Gizmo yeah. like I did. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to say that this for me is three out of five stars. And okay. I think that it is above average. I think the effects still hold up. And I really enjoyed, um, as we talked about, those thematic elements, which were fantastic. But I did feel like the movie kind of went on a little bit too long, didn't have some storylines that resolved enough, and didn't make me feel as connected to the human characters that I need to be in the film, especially Kate um, and, and even Kate and Billy's relationship, which, you know, you want to be pulling for in, in this movie. So, but I still am glad that I got a chance to watch it, you know, and, and I had fun doing it. And so I'm glad we put this on the schedule, uh, mm-hmm. for the 602 club, but Christy, it's the time of the show for our recommendations. So I can't wait to see what you want to recommend to everybody here this week. Okay. So, uh, I actually wanted to stick with the, um, Amblin movie era and recommend that people see another um, movie around that time that maybe you haven't gotten around to yet. Matt, I don't know if you have, but I think people need to see Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I'm just letting you know. Yeah, It was from 1988. It really interestingly combines um, animation with reality. um, And I think that people need to check it out. It's just, it's a weird weird movie that it just it it works at least for me so um yeah and and i also wanted to recommend it because i don't know if you know about all the different voice actors that are in that movie but there's a really great cast for that Mm -hmm. as well yeah so um and it's the uh origination of jessica rabbit who's one of my favorite characters as well yes so i highly recommend checking out who framed roger rabbit from 1988 Nice. Uh, well, for me, I am going to recommend uh, my wife. Uh, I just showed her Godfather. Uh, she had never seen The ah, Godfather. So um, I haven't either. <laughs> got a chance to crack open my brand new 4K set. And goodness, the restoration on it looks astounding. And so if you haven't seen The Godfather, Man, you are about to experience it in 4K in a way that I don't know anybody has experienced it. It looks gorgeous, and it's still a phenomenal film. So I highly recommend people check out The Godfather there in 4K. But uh, Christy, when you're not trying to find The Godfather in 4K because you have not seen it yet, where can people find you? (laughs) You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bell. And, of course, on the Babel Conference as well. And when I'm not here on 602 Club, I do a show with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabers and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network Skynet. So I hope you'll check that out also on all of your social media platforms at Sabers and Spells. 
And you can find me all over the place uh, on social media under the name MattRushing02. And, of course, uh, that's Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, all of those type of places. Uh, you can also find me here in the network in the 602 Club feed with a couple of bonus shows with John Mills, uh, Snyder Cuts, as well as Assembling Avengers. And then when I am not in the 602 Club, I'm doing a bunch of other things here on the network. I'm doing Warp 5, The Orb. Literary Treks, and The Artificial Tango. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. The Orb is about Star Trek at Deep Space Nine. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And The Artificial Tango is about Star Trek Picard as we've been walking through all of Season 2, which has been a blast so far. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, you can find me doing two shows. One's a completed show I did with Dre Kaufman as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time on Owl Post, which great time to check that out because, you know, as we're recording this, Fantastic Beasts The Secrets of Dumbledore is about to come out. Uh, and oh, uh, yes, I'm so excited. Um, and then you could find me doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as every week we talk about Star Wars. But thank you so much for joining us. Right, lads? Thank you.